1: I get the opportunity to end this chapter with you. And we're just going to start off by, I want you to imagine in your mind, go into work, go into your workplace, and there's that person you don't like at your workplace. Can you imagine them in your mind right now? I don't know about you. They're just not your cup of tea. Maybe they're exaggerators. Maybe they're liars. Maybe they're braggers. I don't know what you got going on. Uh, For me personally, I always had somebody that was trying to compete with me. I'm like, dude, I don't want to compete with you. But also sometimes I'd be like, if they walk in the room, I'm going to walk out of the room. I don't know what generation you're from. Maybe you're going to call them a Karen or maybe you're going to call them a Debbie Downer. I don't know. Is there any new names out there that I'm not aware of? No? Okay. That's pretty good. Oh, you know what? I missed one. It's like I skipped this generation. They called it the Gina. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, now it's Becky. I don't know. But in your mind, I want you to just imagine that person. I I don't know if you have those people at work, but Or even like maybe in your family, you're like, oh, don't bring up politics. That person's going to make our turkey dinner pretty awful. Um, But you know that person that just irritates you. Maybe they're super annoying. I mean, for me, I cannot stand it when people chew with their mouth open. If you chew with your mouth open, I am openly leaving you alone. If we eat together, I will walk out of the room. It's one of my most annoying things. I'm just saying but get that person in your mind. I want you to think about the traits and characteristics that you really don't like about that person. Think about two of them, and once you've got them, I want you to lean over to your neighbor and tell them about the traits and characteristics you can't stand. Don't say their name, okay? We're not trying to gossip in here, okay? Go. Yeah, we're being serious. What are some traits about a person in your mind that you don't like? Give two traits to the person next to you. If you're online, put them in the comments, okay? Let's do it. And if you're telling me you have traits and people you don't like that you don't talk about, I'm like, come on, let's just talk about it right now, okay? All right, so you got it? Neighbors, was your person honest? Were they honest? Yes, no, Yeah yeah? Some of you are like, this is a trick. You're trying to get me to gossip about somebody else. No, I'm not trying to get you to gossip. I'm just trying to get you to be an authentic, realistic person that doesn't walk in the doors of the church and says, oh, no, I don't do those things. But then you go by the water cooler tomorrow, and you're like, you know that, Becky. Mm. I am so glad she took a sick day today. It is such a better day since she's not here you know y'all do it. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So on the flip side, think of that person that you meet for the first time and you're like, dear God, are we from the same mother? You are like my best friend, brother from another mother, soul sister. You know what I'm talking about? And for me, that's like, if you're like, I love Disneyland. I wear the ears. I dress up. I go in early. I'm like, you are my people. Okay, but we all have those people that we meet for the first time and you're like it is so comfortable with you until you know you start talking about politics and you're like mm. but anyways that's a side note but imagine that person that you just feel so comfortable with it's like so affirming you feel like you get along you feel like you go well with them that is not what this sermon is going to be about so Buckle up. Jonah 4 is hardcore, and I I got this one to preach at you. So maybe you guys watched this video or saw this, uh, I don't know, show or commercial at, during the Super Bowl, but I was very moved by this commercial, and I'd like to show it to you now. So if you would go ahead and play that for us, and we're going to talk about it. Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see it clearer, or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human after all I don't know about you, but when I saw that over Super Bowl, it invoked a lot of emotion for me. Definitely reminds me of the last few years that will remain nameless because we talk about it a lot. Uh, But it invoked a lot of emotion uh, among Christians. I don't know if you know this, but several Christians really hated this commercial, which really broke my heart in a lot of ways because like Jesus (laughs) is the one that said those words. And so I don't know for you if that invokes a lot of emotion uh, of what we've gone through, um, but we definitely want to talk about that today. And before that commercial aired, I had been really praying for it because I wanted to find out more about the group that made this, like what's their agenda? Because some Christians are saying, this is woke agenda, taking Jesus's words and making it woke. And so I, I looked it up and I I know, do you like my woke voice? It's so good. I have a woke voice. Um. We all need to wake up, okay, side note, that was free. But I wanted to know about this, why would they be motivated to do this? I mean, these commercials are millions of dollars to make and then to get a slot in the Super Bowl for this commercial is very expensive. And they have two motives, only two. This blew blew my mind and it's gonna hurt a little bit, but the first one is to show the world that Jesus is not a hate group. Let it sit in. The world thinks Jesus is a hate group. And I have news for you. It's not just because there is a group of people that are saying that Christians are a hate group or that Jesus is a hate group. It is because Christians have acted like a hate group. And guys, it's time for us to own it individually and as the body of Christ and to start taking back ground. So there's that. The second one, which is even more powerful, to remind Christ followers to live the gospel, to inspire them to live Jesus' words. It's just a powerful, powerful campaign that I encourage you not to turn your back on. And maybe it upset you. I mean, this is a visceral commercial if you're watching it. I mean, like, it describes the last few years that we just lived through. And to be honest, this exemplifies Jonah 4. And I don't know why I got Jonah for I'm sure John Mark wanted it. <laughs> He's done such a great job. But we're in this series of Jonah, and I'm literally in the hardest chapter. Jonah, if you haven't been with us, is an anti-hero. Everybody say anti-hero. Can you think of a few anti-heroes? Like, shout them out. I can think of Venom off the top of my head. Any others? Scorpion? No. Oh, I cannot say that word, girl. I'm like, Morbius. Okay, what other? Anti-venoms. Or anti-venoms, uh, anti-heroes. You, Mil- oh, I actually kind of like her. And I hate anti-heroes. Oh. How many of you guys love anti-heroes? Let's see how divided the room is. If you love anti-heroes, oh, wow. Okay, if you hate anti-heroes, lift your hand. Oh, wow. We have zero, very little opinion here. Um, I... For, I personally hate antiheroes because I'm black and white. I'm like, you're either good or you're bad, but you're really messing with me when you're both good and you're both bad. Really messes with the black and white person. I dislike it, um, but I think we like it par- partially because it's a reminder that honestly, a lot of us are good and bad. When we accept Christ in our heart, we become all good because Christ makes us all good, but we're still working on putting on the new human, right? Living it out, living those habits out. And that's really like Jonah summed up, right? He, in fact, Jonah, the book of Jonah summarizes the entire Old Testament. If you are too lazy to read the Old Testament, read the book of Jonah. It sums up the entire Old Testament in this. Humans suck. They just do. They mess things up. God gave them this beautiful creation. They mess things up. They bring sin. They bring brokenness into the world. They bring sickness and spiritual death into the world. Right. So then God chooses his people and he's counting on his people to bring his goodness and they even fail. So he brings his perfect son through his people to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for death and to raise from the dead so that when we turn and we believe in him and we make him Lord of our lives, he comes into our brokenness and he fully heals that brokenness. But not only that, that's when he begins to partner with us to bring healing to the brokenness into the world. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus or that's what God was expecting of Jonah. And so the big idea today is that we are receiving grace. We receive grace, God's grace, through us. And I'm sorry, I messed it up. I'm going to say it again. Oh, I drank too much coffee this morning. I'm in trouble, okay? Receiving God's grace to us and through us empowers us to live the gospel. You wanna know how to live the gospel? God's grace to us and through us. And why do we need God's grace? Because as we can see from Jonah and the Old Testament, God's own people become an obstacle to his purposes. That's not what God wants. And I would say that's a prophetic word for America American Christians today. During COVID and some of the racial stuff that we had going on, God's own people became an obstacle to his purposes in reaching the world. And that's why Jonah is so visceral and so visceral. I don't know, so uh, crazy to us. It hits us kind of hard because we've lived through it. And so we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. And the way that we do that, right, is number one, God's grace to us. And then number two, God's grace through us. And we're going to look at both of those things. And the first one is God's grace to us. Now, let's look at Jonah he wants to die. I mean, the guy is miserable, right? He's done his job. He's preached to the Ninevites. And you know what? Maybe you don't know this, but then all of the Ninevites repent and they get saved. And God decides not to destroy them. And Jonah is mad. He does not like that God did not do what he felt God said he was going to do. And so the job is done. Jonah's done his job. God can just relent. He can just leave Jonah on his own. But the truth is that God loves Jonah too. He didn't just come to save the Ninevites. He wanted to save Jonah. So he picks a man with prejudice and sends him to his enemies so that he can save him. And that's the crux of what we're talking about today. And God does two things to show his grace to Jonah. And you're going to laugh because, first of all, he tricks him. And second of all, he uses the circumstances of his life, which I like to call a living parable. And all of these ways we can read about and be like, oh, that's so cool. Except for if it happens to me, right? We can look at Jonah and be like, that's so cool God would speak that way. And Jonah is like such a comical character. I don't know about you, but Jonah to me is like annoying, I'm just like, dude, if you whine one more time, complain at God one more time. Like, God shouldn't have come to save the Ninevites or smite the Ninevites. He should be, like, smiting you. You're such an idiot. Like, wipe him off the face of the planet, which kind of of reminds me if you've been a mom for any length of time and you have been grocery shopping and you come to that amazing aisle where there's all this, I mean, like, you're waiting in line and there's all these candy bars right in front of your four-year-old or three-year-old, and they grab it, you take it from them, and they're laying on the floor, crying in a puddle of probably pee and cry, right? This is Jonah, a straight-up toddler crying, and he even creates a new category of prayer. It's called venting. Are you familiar with it? Jonah created it. Thank you, Jonah. I thank you. I don't know about you, but I vent sometimes, and more than just creating a new category of prayer prayer, he also shows us how to take God for granted. And he does this so, 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 so good. Um, he literally says, I know you're a gracious God. That's why I didn't even want to go. Because I knew, I don't know, if you have teenagers, I don't know, you get in the car and you're like, I told you it'd be like this. I didn't even want to come. Here Jonah is being a toddler and a teenager. And he's like, I told you, I knew you were going to relent on them. He literally says, That is why I ran away to Tarshish, right? I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Gosh darn it, you're eager to turn back from destroying people. Is that interesting? Because like our world gets hung up on the fact that God feels like a judgmental God, but right here He's saying He's eager to turn back from destroying people. He desires that, and Jonah's taking this for granted. This is a scripture I actually have memorized because I'll never forget as a teenager, kind of reading through the Old Testament and reading about Moses meeting Jesus, or meeting, Jesus meeting God in the burning bush, and. God says, my name is I Am. Then he goes on to see the tail end of God's back, the only person to see God's back. And God says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is how God describes himself. And Jonah throws it right back in his face like a good teenager does. And he's taking for granted that God is merciful, not just to the Ninevites, but to him. And so God then asks him, is it right for you to be angry? I mean, is it really? I don't know if I would say it that nicely. I'd be like, I don't know. I, I got to get my mad face on. Is it really right for you to be angry, Jonah? Jonah. You, first of all, went to preach to them, finally, after you ran, and I had to send a whale, and it ate you, and then it spit you up on dry land, vomited you on dry land, and now finally you obeyed me, but not only that, you committed prophetic sabotage. You gave a five-word sermon that says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned he gave as little information as possible so that they would die. He didn't even tell them how to repent. But get this, God turns it around on him because the word that he uses, overturn, is a Hebrew word called hapak. Everybody say hapak. Hapak. And that Hebrew word has two meanings, to overturn or to turn over. And Jonah meant it overturn, destroy. You know, like a three-year-old with Legos. Destroy. And God meant the other meaning, which was to turn over a piece of toast when it's getting toasted. We see Hopuk in other parts of scripture where it says to turn your grief or your sorrow to joy. And so God decided he was gonna turn the bad to good in the Ninevites. But I really think this play on words wasn't just to trick Jonah because he was trying to, like, rub it in his face, but because he wanted to turn Jonah's heart from bad to good. He wanted to hop hock Jonah's heart, and so he hop hocked the Ninevites, which is kind of a beautiful thing to think about. And I think this is funny because I don't know about, do I have any people in here that take themselves too seriously? I cannot be the only person. I take myself too seriously. So basically, if this were me and God was tricking me, I'm like, I'm looking at it with Jonah, and I'd be like, oh, that's so cool, God. But I'd be like, oh, it's not really. Uh, uh-uh. I take myself too seriously. I can't even laugh about the play on words that he has that is compassionate to get a hold of Jonah's heart. It's pretty beautiful. I mean, just it's pretty amazing and comical and lovely and a great opportunity for Jonah to turn around. But he doesn't. So God thinks about a different way. This is time number two, chance number two, where he's like, I'm going to show you that I love you. You've done your job. You've done it actually so good that the Ninevites have repented, even though you really sucked at it. Um, My grace was sufficient for you. Um, But I still want to show my grace to you, and I want your heart to change. So even even though you ignored my first attempt, I'm going to give you a second attempt. So he grows this plant, and this is what I like to call the circumstances of life. Sometimes God speaks to us through our circumstances, or we can call it something really nice, like a living parable. How about we call it that? Um, But it's the circumstances. He's sitting in the sun. He's actually sitting there because he's sitting on a hill thinking, I can't wait to watch these people die. I know. He's such a great man, right? Um, So then God grows this plant to provide for him shade. It's a beautiful plant. And Jonah's happy about the plant. He's grateful. He's starting to feel some emotion for the first time in all of Jonah. And then God sends a worm, and it kills the plant. I was like, does it eat the whole plant? I'm like trying to imagine this in my mind. Because if we're being honest, the book of Jonah in like Veggie Tales or in kids' books, they they skip all of chapter 4. Right? So I'm trying to imagine what this looks like. And it says that the worm ate through the plant so that it it fell. It didn't like eat the entire plant. I was like, wow, that's... So God sends a giant whale and he sends a tiny worm. He sends a tiny worm to eat the plant. And now Jonah is like, what the heck, God? Where's my plant? I love that plant. And now it's gone and I want to die. I mean, dude, he is intense, right? And God's like, oh, yes, you're finally feeling some emotion about something. Maybe I can use this emotion to help you know how I feel, to, to help you understand my heart, and to hop off or to transform your heart from a hard one to a soft one. Because that's what happened with the Ninevites. The Ninevites had soft hearts, and their hearts were turned to the Lord. And now he's trying to soften Jonah's heart because he loves him and has grace for him, right? And so he says, okay, even if your concern for this plant is legit, I mean, you did not grow it, you did not care for it, you did not create it, even if this is legit, this whole fit you're throwing right here, don't I have permission to care for something that's maybe a little scotch more important than that plant? Like 122,000 people that I love. If you have permission to love this plant, can I love these people? Can I love you? I mean, it's just so beautiful what he's saying. And and this is a quote from Tyrone. I think it's a great quote. Isn't it amazing that we can build or we can be so blind to God's grace because we're so focused on other things? Jonah was so focused on what he got and lost that he was blind to what he could have which I just think is just irony. And so Jonah basically ends, I'm not ending my sermon right now, just in case, so stay buckled in, stay on track. Um, But Jonah ends literally with that sentence, don't I have permission to care for 122,000 people? And that's, boom, how it ends. And I think it's rightfully so, because God's grace isn't just for us and to us, but it's meant to be through us. And it is powerful when it does something to us, but it is even more transforming when it does something through us. When it flows through us so freely, it is really powerful. And so I want to remind you, too, that the book of Jonah is not about a big fish and a prophet. It's actually about you and me. It's a story about you and I. And if you are a follower, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've made him Lord of your life it's about you too, because we are God's people. And the question is, how am I living in response to God's grace to me? How am I living in response to God's grace to me? I just want to ask you a question. Who was the most hateful person in this story here? You can shout it out. Jonah, God's own prophet representing God's own people, is the most hateful person in this story. And this is where it gets tough for us. Just because we are a part of God's family um, and we call ourselves Christians doesn't mean that we can't live out hypocrisy. It doesn't mean that we can't live in religious superiority. And I think that's what hurts so much about this last season. I think that Christians should have been known through this last season as the most loving and the most gracious, yet we were known for what we were against. We were known for what made us feel uncomfortable, feel like this was an opportunity for us to be light in the darkness. God says to Jonah, can I care about these people? They don't even know the left hand from the right hand. Is he, are they saying they don't know right from wrong? No, but he's saying they don't really know me. They've never been introduced to me but you know me, it's, and they're just as misguided as Jonah here, right, and we all just need to recognize sometimes we are misguided too, and we need to have just compassion for people. I love this scripture that's so powerful um, that Jesus, or not Jesus, but it's in Romans. It says that we are all sinners, right, saved by grace, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but then it is all, sorry, I have to quote it correctly, for while we were still sinners, God, Christ died for us, right? The other way you could translate that is while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for you and me. There isn't a point where we're so good that God's love and his death on the cross doesn't apply to us anymore. But we kind of get there a little bit. Sorry, I'm getting on a little bit of tangent, but guys, Jesus comes on the scene, and he gives a completely new and different way. He says, love your enemies. You saw it on the screen. He says, love your enemies. You see it in Matthew 5, 44, and Luke 6, 27. And this is a new way to be human. It's like nothing we can do in and of ourselves or by ourselves. And I want to be honest. Like, I've had hurt and pain, and I'm sure there's hurt and pain in this room that's more than just like, I'm annoyed at Susie at work. And it's like, no, Susie straight up lied about me at work and that really, that really stung me, but receiving God's grace to us empowers us to live the gospel, and that's a powerful, powerful thing. So I'm going to go back to number two, which is God's grace through us, right? God brought Jonah directly in connection with his enemies so that he could teach him something. His grace through Jonah was meant to teach him something, and so I want you to go back I'm a train in your mind. You all think I'm a bad kid because I made you think about people you don't like. <laughs> okay, think about that person again. Get that person firmly in your mind right now. Wouldn't your life be easier if they weren't in your life? Would your family gatherings would be better? Would your day at work be better? Just would be better if they weren't in your life. And you know what? I'm gonna tell you right now, don't you tell me you haven't thought it. Because we can come in this building and we can get all righteous and be like, no, I love everybody. No, you don't. Uh, I don't need to be a prophet to know that. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. But I think the right question or the better question is, what if they are in my life as a divine invitation to grow in maturity of grace? grow in maturity of grace, to partner with the Holy Spirit for divine healing at your workplace, in your family, in your heart, in this world. Um, I am going to give you a quote by a man named Walter Winker. Can we stop and laugh about his name for a hot minute? His name is Walter Winker, but he he's a fun guy. So I'm going to read this quote to you. The gift of our enemy may be able to bring us to see aspects of ourselves that we cannot discover any other way than through our enemies. Our friends seldom tell us these things. They are our friends precisely because they are able to overlook or ignore this part of us. The enemy is thus not merely a hurdle to be leaped on the way to God. The enemy can be the way to God. We cannot come to terms with our shadow except through our enemies. So I pose this question again to you. What if the person in your mind right now that you were thinking of is a divine invitation to grow in maturity spiritually, to grow in maturity in grace? See, the world is looking for us to screw up at times, right? but they're also tired of us telling them about Jesus's love. They just wanna see it. They just wanna see it. Everywhere you go, you are Jesus with skin on if you're a believer. And non-believers are looking at you and they just wanna see it. Guys, I, uh, on Friday, had a conversation with a guy named John. Man, John, if you're watching, because I connected with him on Facebook, You're awesome. Um, He's an atheist, and he was explaining to me how uh, he began to be an atheist, and he said, you know, it's not that I don't believe there is a God, it's that I don't want to believe the God that is. And he quoted Nietzsche, and I've never thought of Nietzsche in this way, he said that God's dead and we killed him. He basically said, the way I've seen Christians live, it's like God is dead to them. But the spirit of God should be living inside of us. But I think some of us have forgotten and we have let that die inside of us. And I don't know if you're there yet, but man, are you ready to hop-hawk that in your life? To turn it over? To let passion grow for Christ again and to let the spirit of the living God in? Maybe you've never experienced that grace. And God wants to fill you with it, because the truth is we can't love our enemies on our own. The the world wants to see us love our enemies. That's light and darkness. But it's so much easier to dehumanize them. Oh man, especially in this world of social media, uh, it's easier to demonize them, right? Polarize them. And this is really what we do. We reduce them down to the thing they've done. And the process works kind of like this. Susie lied to me, therefore Susie's a liar. Or Gregory annoyed me, or he did something annoying, therefore he is annoying. And again, we label them and reduce them down to the trait that bothers us. But the same could be said of us. And maybe you've experienced this. Somebody reduced you down to a trait when you're so much more than that. You're so much more than that. And we, like Jonah, can make ourselves the victim and become blind to the fact that we need forgiveness too. See, Jonah was never the victim. Though he acted like the victim, he actually was the answer. And can I tell you, Christian, Christ follower, you're not the victim in America. You are the answer to its salvation. Plain and simple. And so the first step towards enemy love is to humanize them. So take a moment, and I want you to think of one trait that you said to your neighbor. Have you ever displayed that trait in any way in the course of your life ever? That is how you humanize someone. You remember I did that too. It's common brokenness. And I'm just going to add, pray for them. Man, pray for your enemies. Tyrone said this card, and it kind of hit me because I thought, you know, the people we're putting on this card, they're the people that we jive with. But maybe God wants you to put the person that you are really uncomfortable around on this card. Maybe your greatest potential to reach someone is your enemy because you're showing them the grace of God. God's scandalous grace is irresistible. It shouts to the world. It's louder than any social media post. It's greater than any stance you take, however you choose to take it. It's more powerful than your righteousness or your holiness. More than that, it's more powerful than your knowledge of God's word and how you communicate it. God's scandalous grace wants to partner with us to accomplish his purposes in seeking and saving the lost. He wants to make you and I the light of the world so that his gospel can be fully on display. And you know what? It's exciting. God is not condemning you right now. I am not condemning you right now. What I'm saying is it's time to turn it over. It's time to turn it over. God has so much more for you than you're currently experiencing, and it's a wild, amazing life that He has for you, with wild, amazing stories of how He turned people's lives around in Your presence. That is so cool. And I, my question to you is this: that perhaps we are uh, God's plan to rescue these people. Maybe just a little bit. I was thinking about how light works in the darkness. Right? If we just gather all together with all the people we feel comfortable with, it's just light gathering around light and it, it doesn't pierce the darkness. I was listening to someone yesterday at a women's conference and they were just talking about how they just wanna work for a Christian company. They just wanna work for a Christian boss. And in my heart, I'm like, but the world is missing your light. The world You're comfortable, but the world is missing your light. And so what we've done, Christians, is we've built our comfort and we've built our kingdom when we're called to build the kingdom. And that's uncomfortable in the best ways possible because God uses it to grow us in maturity and in grace on his mission. You are the light of the world, church. You are the light of the world. And there is no law against love.